time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Hey, this is Lee Balkum on the Thrivology Podcast, and today my guest is Vitali Katsinelson. He was born in Murmansk, USSR, and immigrated to the United States with his family in 1991. After joining the Denver-based value investment firm IMA in 1997, Vitaly became chief investment officer in 2007 and CEO in 2012. Vitaly has written two books on investing and is an award-winning writer. He's known for his uncommon common sense. Forbes magazine called him the new Benjamin Graham. He's written for publications including Financial Times, Barron's, Institutional Investor, and Foreign Policy. His articles are also published on his website, ContrarianEdge.com, and in audio format on his Intellectual Investor Podcast. Vitaly lives in Denver with his wife and three kids, where he loves to read, listen to classical music, play chess, and write about life, investing, and music. Soul in the Game, which is what we're going to be talking about today, is his new third book, and it's his first book on non-investing. And this is all about how do you thrive in the midst of challenges and difficult times. So let's now turn to my interview with Vitaly. Vitaly, thank you so much for being here. I'm excited about this. I've been reading through your book. And uh, one of the things, the book is Soul in the Game, and it's the art of a meaningful life. But what always interests me is how somebody got to this point. And um, your background is not really kind of the self-help kind of world. So talk a little bit about how you got to here. Well, first of all, let me explain my accent. Uh, <laughs> most people will assume I was born I was born in Alabama or Mississippi. <laughs> and I just want to make sure to correct that. So actually, I was born in Russia. I moved to the United States in 1991. And I lived here basically for more than 30 years. And... Um, I started writing in 2004, and uh, my background, I managed an investment firm, IMA. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a diehard value investor, and I wrote two investment books on, on, on investing uh, uh, published by, uh, by Wiley. So when I started writing, I was writing about investing, but little by little over time, I started to write about what I would call life topics and classical music. And I would write about uh, my, you know, our trip to Santa Fe with my kids, and you know, uh, and uh, my, you know, just kind of reminiscence about life. And over time, as I, I have a very large uh, readership base. You know, people subscribe to my articles. People started writing to me, and they basically say, "Vitali, I came, I started reading your articles because of your investment articles, but I'm really staying for your life articles." And that gave me the confidence to keep writing about life topics more and more. So today, probably forty percent of my time, my writing is about investing. No, maybe no, maybe sixty percent about about investing, forty percent about life. And this book, really, I, I know when I was writing, I didn't think about it as a writing a self help book. I think that's how people perceive it. I was basically writing my life stories, and I was writing, and I and I was. Like when I was writing about Stoic philosophy, I was writing it because I wanted to learn it, and the best way for me to learn is to write about it. Mm-hmm. So that's how this kind of this book came about. And um, there's this Stoic philosopher, Zeno, who was the founder of Stoicism, actually. 
And he has this, uh, I remember reading this line by him. And he says, I'm talking to you, not like a physician talking to a doctor, but as one patient talking to another patient, sharing his uh, you know, uh, story of his illness or whatever. And so kind of pull your bed next to mine and let's talk about, you know, stoicism. So this is basically how I approach this book. It's really just, you know, uh, I'm not expert on self-help. I'm just a person who is going through life and trying to learn and sharing what I learned with others. Okay. So let me just shake that loose a little bit because, um, you could say the same about investing, right? I mean, how do you become an expert investor is by working through investment by doing it. And the, the way you become an expert in life is probably by, you know, living it. <laughs> no, no, it's very true. No, no, it's very, no, I, I, I agree with you, except like Donald Robertson, who wrote a phenomenal book about, you know, about stoicism. I actually wrote two books now. Um, he is actually, and you interviewed him before, mm-hmm. he's trained in, uh, he's actually has the training in this. And he actually studied philosophy in school, actually, I think. I don't have background in this. I just have a, my training, is, I, I just, I've been trained by life. Mm-hmm. Where, so that's that's the difference again. Yeah. And I'm not sure that's a that's a huge uh, space anymore because, I mean, especially as you, you point out, you can find the literature on stoicism. Yeah. And, and so then the training becomes your own reflecting on it and how that that goes about. Yeah, and actually this is a great point. Um there is a Chinese proverb. I'm not even sure it's Chinese, but that's what we say but we know we don't know the origin. <laughs> right. Uh, n- uh knowing and not doing is not knowing. Mm-hmm. So if you study stoic philosophy and you don't practice it, it's almost like you're not knowing you, you don't know it. Yeah. Because like so I would argue, Stoic philosophy—it's uh, one of those things that you have to practice because you, what you're basically doing, you are rewriting your operating system, mm-hmm. and the way you rewrite your operating system through doing it, yeah. through practicing. Yeah, which you know, it's kind of interesting. I remember back, and I was a hospital chaplain back when they still allowed people to smoke in the hospital. You know, I'd mm-hmm. go into patients' room, they're smoking, and what was struck me is sometimes I would be with a doctor who was telling their patient about how they needed to clean up their, their health while they uh-huh. were smoking a cigarette, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. like that same kind of thing. Are you doing, are you living out what you are professing um, or uh, are, is there a mismatch? And, and so that strikes me as being the place where you stepped into this of saying stoicism made sense for you and how you go through life, but you got to, it's not just a, let me think about it, but how do I express it? How do I live it out? That's right. And, and by the way, um, it's one of those things where you, when you practice, you're gonna fail plenty, and that doesn't make it, it doesn't make you hypocrite when you, yeah, you know, when 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 I, when I write this, is what I should be doing, and I try myself and I fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would make me hypocrite if I wrote it and I didn't think it's you now other people, you know, I should be doing it, other people should be doing it. Um, but my point is, is that when you practice, you're gonna fail plenty. And that's absolutely fine, as long as you, you know, you know, look at, uh, you know, kind of admit that you failed. Uh, you learn from it, get up and keep going forward. You know, so I, because a lot of things I wrote, I like. I'll give you, I'll give you one example. In the book, I talk about the uh, the like tremendous you know uh, value of meditation. 
okay? And I've meditated for a year and a half every single day. And one thing I did with my meditation, I made a small mistake. I linked it to my morning walks. So when I walk in the park. Last year, it was very, very cold in Denver for three or four days. And I basically, I walked for maybe 10 minutes and I could not sit down and meditate because it was too cold. And I fell off the wagon. So I like stopped med- meditating for three or four days. And since since then, it was very difficult for me to get into back into the routine. Mm. So now I am working very hard to get on the routine again. And uh, even and and so I've been meditating. You know, when the book I talk about that you know people should try to meditate every day, I haven't myself. And uh, and now I'm trying to get back on this horse because I find there's a tremendous value in meditation. So as as an example. Mm-hmm. It's basically about um, what, how you structure those habits that move you forward, not whether you're perfect at it. Yes. Um, I. You have to be very mindful how you structure your day for several reasons. Number one, you have a different amount of energy during uh, different parts of the day. Like I have a lot more energy in the morning and a lot less energy in the afternoon. I'm a lot more creative in the morning, a lot less creative in the afternoon. And so, and also you want to be linking one habit to another. So I'll give an example. I wake up at about five o'clock every morning. I write for two hours. Then I go for a walk in the park, unless I have to drive my kids to school. And then I go for a walk in the park after I drive my kids to school. And I tied my meditation to walking in the park, which worked for a year and a half. So I shouldn't complain too much. But then, you know, uh, but then it got too cold. So that, you know that linkage got broken, so I yeah you know, I, sh- I should be more mindful about it when it broken, and sort of went inside and meditated. Mm-hmm. But the but at the same time I don't schedule any calls, uh, unless it's a research call, until one o'clock in the afternoon, because from eight or nine till one I only do research because that's that is actually that's my main job, and I find that. My brain, I'm more creative. My brain is the sharpest until one o'clock. After one o'clock, it's kind of, you know, it's it's all going downhill uh, because I've already been up for so many hours. Um, so I'm very, you know, and also you should start planning your day uh, not on the uh, uh, a night before because with time you get up should be also driven by the uh, with time you went to sleep. Because you want to get, at least get seven, eight hours of sleep every night, and so I, you know, uh, so I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, when I go to sleep, I'm, you know, I'm sure to go to sleep, and you know, at least not no later than ten o'clock. I mm-hmm. try to go at nine, so I can get up at five. I'm, I'm curious on kind of the habits and the thought process. If you were, I haven't read your investment books, so let me just mm-hmm. say, <laughs> I don't have that behind me. But given where you've been through this book, Soul in the Game, mm-hmm. would you write those books differently? Would has that changed how you think about um, investment, wealth management, um, all those pieces? Um, maybe a little bit. Um, in this book, there was a chapter actually uh, where I talk about uh, I, it's called a opera pain and investing, where I talk about the pain I experienced as an investor in uh, 2015. And I think I would take this chapter and put it into my investment books mm-hmm. because a lot of people go, a lot of investors go through a painful period of time 
and they need a coping mechanism to deal with that. And I think that's that would be an important chapter. Um, the interesting part uh, that there is a lot of similarity between investors, thoughtful investors structure their process and stoicism. Because if you think about stoicism, one of the things, you know, you all your goals should be process-based, not outcome-based. And that is very similar to investing. Like in investing, I have absolutely no control over sh- outcome, you know, my decisions in the short run. And in the long run, there's still plenty of uh, variability and randomness. In the so all my goals should be process based. In other words, as an investor, I should be looking at my process. Am I, you know, how am I analyzing, analyzing companies? Do you know? Do I follow my process? Am I being rational? How's my sell discipline? Am I being rational during selling? So all those things are process based, and I would, you know, I, I would argue Stoics were extremely process based because you, you know, the the, the whole the core of it, the economy of control, right? Some things are up to us, some things aren't. Well, things that are up to us are very limited. And it's a the linear, you know, it's a basically our values, how we react to things, how we behave. All those things I just mentioned are process-based. So when I can I have no control when um when somebody is rude to me, okay, I have no control if they're rude to me or not. But it's up to me how I react. So that's a process-based. You know, my reaction is process-based. So there is a lot of similarity. You know, you, I, I mean, I could see right in the you know, kind of a book and try to, uh, or maybe probably not a book, but maybe a few chapters kind of try to have, highlight how investing done right is similar to stoicism. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah. It just strikes me. I mean, I've talk to several um, as clients, uh, several people who their job is, you know, in that financial world of, of investment and, and wealth management and their um, difficulty facing difficult things in the market, right? And, and their um, feeling of unease. And we've talked about some of the stoic stuff, but it seems that what really rocks the world of a lot of investors is not the math, not the a- analysis, but mm. What happens next? You know the the reality of the market. Yeah, there is a there is a in behavioral finance and probably in psychology period there is a something called empathy gap gap. And basically, when a client comes to me, and and we talk about I talk about what we do, etc. And I talk about how volatility is not a risk, but it really a lot of times an opportunity. And they tell me, I agree with you so much. I wish the market declined thirty percent. And when they tell me this, they're not lying. That's what they think at the time. Mm-hmm. That's a th- that's a theoretical feeling at the time. But then when the reality happens and the market declines 5%, yeah. not even 20, they start freaking out. It's because it's the how the you know, because their theoretical behavior, their actual behavior is different. So in investing, believe it or not, uh psychology is probably even more important. Like so the I think Warren Buffett said something along the lines that you need to have a kind of average IQ in investing and above average EQ. Mm-hmm. I, I think either I'm either I'm 
quoting Warren Buffett, I'm quoting myself. But you know, either way. So, <laughs> but I'm sure Warren Buffett would have said it if he didn't. So let's talk some. You, you mentioned EQ. Where do you see that fitting into this the Stoic process? How do you see that as being um, part of Stoicism? Yeah. Well, so let's talk about what Stoicism is to mm-hmm. me first. Stoicism to me is an operating system for life. When we are born, we come with hardware and basically kind of a blank software. And then the software is written, how we behave is kind of impacted by our parents, by circumstances, by teachers, by books we read. But it's kind of a hodgepodge of kind of writing that we are, it's mindlessly written to us. You know, uh, So our behavior is completely random, completely, completely randomly written by the environment, by a lot of factors we can control. Now, what Stoicism does provides an operating system of how to have a life where you minimize the volatility of your negative emotions. Okay, that is how I look at Stoicism. It's an operating system for, it's a, it's a well-spelled-out operating system for life. And if you, um, if you minimize your negative emotions, that in itself will maximize, uh, will make your life easier. Now, let me just clarify this. What you're trying to do is trying to remove unnecessary suffering, okay? It doesn't mean that you won't have problems in life. In, in, in fact, I would argue the opposite, that happiness in life comes from having good problems. I wake up in the morning and I write, you know, for two hours a day. And I tell you, Lee, there are so many times, so many days when I'm frustrated because nothing, I'm writing and nothing good comes out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's a problem. And that sometimes I'm agitated about it. Okay. And I try not to. And I, and I'm over time actually less and less agitated because now I accept that as a part of the journey. Now, if I didn't want to have any problems, I would not write. Mm-hmm. Okay, I would then I would like as an example, and or I would not, you know, same thing as investing. Then I would have a very boring and miserable existence. Because by removing this problem, you know, good problems out of my life, like in writing and investing, I would have this very meaningless life. So so having problems in life, having good problems, it's it's absolutely fine. It's a what stoicism helps you to do is let me give you a few examples. Um, when you talk to somebody and they're rude to you, you know, number one, by saying they're rude to you, I already framed it. I already, mm-hmm. I already put uh, clothes or, or I dressed something because it could be benign into a negative connotation, being rude, right? So we have, we have we have an opportunity to interpret anything that happens to us in a positive way, in a neutral or negative. Stoics would teach you through reframing to a lot of times uh, just uh, reframe things that are, we would perceive as negative into neutral. A lot of times it's positive. Uh, so when you uh, when you go to, uh, when you're picking up a car from a car rental and they give you the wrong car, uh, you can you know you can you can get angry at, at the at the current clerk, or you can look at it as an opportunity for you to practice stoicism and uh, 
reframe it, say and say, well, let's say you know that's a that's a stoic test. Mm-hmm. Let me see how if I pass it or not. Uh, and suddenly, the anger that you would have that you know, by the way, when you're angry, you also hurt somebody else. Uh, by by hurting this person, and then feeling guilty about this, you reframe it and say, "Well, it's it's not a big deal. I'm, I'm going to have a minivan instead of a SUV." You can also say, "I have absolutely no control about this." So, when you know, there is absolutely no point of me being upset about this because what's the upside? There is there's there are many ways the Stoics provide you. You can also say, uh, "Is that really the like? Is that really?" such a big deal considering like and you can you can uh create a comparative negative visualization that the people dying are getting bombed in ukraine would they would they want to if they <laughs> if they had my problems would they be happy you now would, would they really be this problems to them or not so and then you know and then, so there are so many different tools how you can approach this and and suddenly what would have been a negative experience becomes just not you know it becomes a non-experience like it's a just you remove the negativity out of your life you know that's one example of how you can apply stoicism in life the challenges it seems to me are the places where we grow i mean that if there's not a challenge as far as i can tell there's not much place for us to grow um so one of the things that i always use is the challenges are those opportunities you know and so you know that's one of the ways that i framed it if if i wanted to for instance, have a bigger bicep. I have to challenge my muscle to make it grow. Absolutely, it's a. No, you're absolutely right. When you go to the gym, that's what you do, right? Right. You are breaking your muscle to grow. And if you just can you imagine, just, just visualize a life that did not have any any negative experiences or any challenges. It would be such a boring, uneventful. Like you, like I can see, like somebody makes a movie. It would be it would, like you would be bored out of this movie. Like if somebody made a movie just was only everything that's happening is just happy, then if, we need a contrast in life for us to appreciate good things. We also need to have bad things as well. Mm-hmm. So that contrast is very very important. Yeah. In fact, I would argue that um, when I like as an immigrant to the United States, I appreciate this country. And I'm generalizing now, so a lot more than people who were born here because they haven't seen a life that's you know where they haven't seen a life where uh, where you don't have property rights, where you're uh, where uh, you know, a life of corruption, uh, where you you know where there is no rule of law, you know this kind of or or, or where there is a where you can go to the store and you see empty shelf and and you're trying to think how you're going to feed feed your kids, that's what my parents went through. You know, when we grew up in Russia, um, so I appreciate this country more because of the adversity we face in Russia. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I I look at where I, you know I look at my life in Russia and I would not change a thing. It is interesting how it, it, there's the reframe that comes when you uh, you know you have that reframe of something. So something like I got the wrong car, big deal. I got a car, right? And <laughs> that's that. As as I've heard many people say, you know, I've got a first world issue. I've got a first world problem. I, like and really, like we went we went on vacation on, on Cancun, and we reserved a room with ocean view, and we didn't get a room with ocean view, and 
the old me would have been upset about it. And I was literally just reading an article about Ukraine and people being bombed in Mariupol. Mm -hmm. And Mariupol happens to be on the, on, on the, on the sea. And I was thinking, th those people right now who have been bombed in Mariupol, they would, like, th the problems I'm having are so insignificant what other people are going through. And I can make it, I can make, by looking at things, this, uh, this room as a problem, I could make my experience miserable for me. Or I can just completely, uh, uh, or I can basically look at it as just a minor inconvenience. So what? And and ended up being absolutely like by by doing this little reframing. Just my experience, my experience ended up being much better. Hmm. I, I wonder um, because I know a lot of people would say, "Okay, well that's great. I mean, philosophy is philosophy, but when it really happens, how do I remember that?" What do you use to help you do that reframe? What was what was helpful, for instance, in that moment at the beach? What are other things that trigger you? I think it's just you know what it is. There's a no. I wish there was this magic shortcut. I think it's a basically you practicing it, like you saying, "I'm practicing stoic," and every time. So there's a it's there is this framework called uh, event judgment reaction. Okay, and we usually what happens to us, we go from event to reaction. As a stoic, what you try to do, you try to put the where the judgment comes in. This is where reframing happens. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's a this is where meditation becomes very helpful. By the way, so this you know, to answer your question, because what meditation allows you to do is to observe your thoughts as an as an outsider. And when you can see that the anger, like, so as a, as a, when you meditate, what you do, you basically close your eyes and you focus on the focal point. It could be breathing, it could be sound, whatever. And then when you try to do this, you naturally fail, right? Because that's how we're wired. And, and, and fail in this case, that's not a bad thing. That's a feature, not a bug. Because you start thinking about, uh, did I forget to pack my lunch to school for my kids? But then he's, this is the key, and then you you're observing that you're not focusing your, on your breathing, and you're thinking about your kid's lunch, and that observation in itself is very important because you just trained yourself to observe your thoughts. Now, if you do this enough, what happens that the event happens, and this is when the judgment comes in, and you see that anger coming up, or some negative your negative emotion coming coming up. This is when you observe your thought. And this is when reframing happens. Mm. And, and in the beginning, it's going to become, a lot of this is going to be happening in your conscious mind. Over time, if you do this enough, it's going to become an automatic behavior. But I'd say you have to do it a lot of, you know, for practice for many, many years because you're basically trying to rewrite the behavior that you have written for, you know, over, you know, over, your, over your whole life. It's interesting that um, that little moment of change, you know, that has to happen, that it's not that you're always going to automatically instantly reframe, but you actually are, are building up the muscles of reframing, of recognizing there's an emotional state that maybe you want to shift away from, that there's something that's triggering that. Yeah, I think Stoics had a, this concept called pre-emotion. Mm -hmm. And that, that is like, this is what you kind of, or like, or maybe like, and I would argue this is like the early, early stages of the emotion. Well, if you identify that and you and 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 you feel it's negative, this is when this is the time where you you react 
and you like you you yeah you know, where you change how you frame things and that's like in the early early stages of your emotion uh, mm -hmm. what is that for you what where do you see that pre-emotion for you um i when i face something negative you know when uh, when one of my kids does something i don't you know that i chose to think as i don't like was negative like again it's a choice we, it's, we make a choice of um uh, uh when i drive and there's a uh, traffic uh like you know it's all these things happen that when life does not go according to my plan mm -hmm. which is you know that's what life is you know life happens it's like you know it's like it's like look it's like standing in the ocean and the ocean and the waves are beating the rocks and you be you know, you've been upset that the the waves are beating the rocks. Like there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. And same thing is life. Life happens, goes, you have your plan, life has its own plan. And uh, and you can get angry about what happens to you or you can just kind of, you accept things and you reframe things. And uh, then I think you just, your life will become a little bit less negative. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. One of the clues I've um, come to notice more and more quickly is my I can feel my gut clenching, you know, my, my muscles tightening, I can feel mm -hmm. a little bit of a flush. That always is right as, right before I start interpreting. You know? And so uh, I was earlier today, I was going to meet my nephew um, to play disc golf and this car in front of me is coming over and doesn't stop at the stop sign just right into in front of me and i could feel the clinch you know my first thing was what a jerk you know and all the those incidents and and i i remember the clinch and i as soon as i felt that i went okay first i'm not going to run up on this guy and second i'm going to maybe make another assumption let's assume that this person was in a rush to get somewhere because there was a an emergency going on yeah and that changes it from me being upset with what's wrong with this guy to Wow, I hope he's okay. Empathetic, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of, I I tell you this. I drove my one of my kids to the hospital, and I've not been fine. But I was driving like a maniac, and I'm sure when I was cutting off people on the road because I was, you know, I was, you know, I, like people. Those people thought I was I was a jerk, mm -hmm. right? And you know, and, and maybe a lot of times, <laughs> maybe sometimes I cut them off because I'm a jerk. But in that case, that was not the case. And I think it's the you're going to have a so much better life if you just assume that, uh, if I assume that people are doing things not because uh, because they're trying to hurt you, because mm -hmm. they have other things going on in life. My do it's kind of interesting. My, my daughter, I'm teaching my daughter how to drive. And we were driving. And uh, I forget, she said something about like, why don't those cars like me? And I said, you don't understand. Those people don't see you. They just see a car mm -hmm. and they and they think, they don't think of you as a person. They think of a car that is a either Toyota or Chevrolet. They don't think it's a 16-year-old girl you know, you know, with, a, with a blonde hair behind the wheel. That's not what they, they just look, identify you as a car model. Uh, and uh, and for her, that was really eye-opening because it's actually depersonalized it a lot. Right, right. So for them, it's not a person, but for us, we personalize it. That's right. And that leap is the the danger point. That's right. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Um, what parts of your own background do you feel? Uh, you, you mentioned about Russia. I don't know how old you were when you left Russia, but 18. 90, okay. So 91 was um, kind of at the tail end of the Soviet I, Union. 
I turned off the lights for Soviet Union, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you feel that that formed your maybe connection with Stoicism? And and I don't necessarily even mean having read. Uh, you and I talked before we started recording about kind of natural Stoicism. You know, that some people just kind of stumble on some of that just because it's it's yeah. how we are and who we are. Did that formulate some of how you came to understand the world? You know, I I I can't link. I got to think about it, but I can't. From the top of my head, I can't link me being growing up in Russia and stoicism but i can i'll tell you this and this is you know, kind of a sad story i lost my mom when i was 11 years old mm-hmm. and the the silver lining in this and i hate even saying those words that i started to appreciate my father so much more and stoics i would say and i stoics would say i was using basically negative visualization because i realized that at some point i'll lose my father you know, as well, and like an 11-year-old kid. And therefore, even as an adult, I made an effort to spend time with my father and see him all the time. Mm-hmm. We went to the trips to South Africa, to Europe, to Santa Fe, and I would go to, for breakfast to see my father three, four times a day. We would go for walks. And so that, like that experience, losing my mom, just made me appreciate my father so much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I rely in, and and by the way, like you can apply this also to my kids now. Because I realized I, you know, my 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 daughter is sixteen years old. She has two years left in high school. So um, when I drive her in the morning, I look at it as a gift mm-hmm. because, like, in the, the old me would have looked at it as a chore. By the way, the same task, driving her to school. Nothing, you know, like mechanically nothing happens. But now I'm framing it as a gift because we get to talk, I get to spend time with her, and I know I only had, I have 400 days like that left. That's it. After that, she'll be gone to college and I won't see her as much. So that, again, this is another example of reframing mm-hmm. and negative visualization. And... Uh, so this is basically how I try to apply stoicism, you know, th- you know, throughout the day you know, in my life. Yeah, it's interesting how those um, those moments of, of reframing just can happen naturally. Like you had a loss, therefore you were more aware of what you could lose. Than yeah. Otherwise, then you have those thoughtful moments where you realize the time is ticking along. Um, you know, I, I remember how many times I called my parents and apologized after I had kids because <laughs> I understood them differently, right? And oh, God, and yes. So an appreciation comes in either of those ways of either having something that reminds you of maybe what you haven't appreciated and other times when you suddenly shift to empathy over something that you didn't realize before. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all very interesting. This uh, Soul in the Game is uh, one of those books that I found to be... Um, you know, there are books that, when you think of philosophy, can be uh, dry and um, you know just very preachy. But your book is much more about your experience, and therefore you're drawing from what's happened. You talk about art and classical music and, and you know, lots of other pieces that you oh, draw yeah. into that. Um, yeah, stoicism is only one part of the book, but you're absolutely right. This yes. One part of the book, and I think this whole book is written like this is what it's not a, it's not a prescriptional book, which I think is a good thing because 
when somebody prescribes something to you, you usually don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. But we usually like to mimic other people. But, you know, and uh, so I'm just sharing what I do and how I deal with life. And then you can choose if this applies to you or not. So one of the things that I found interesting is at the end of it, you end with intermission, yeah. <laughs> which means there's more to come. Yes. Um, I look at myself as a student of life. Student of life as a person who is constant. So this, by the way, that is one of the, that, that's my identity. I'm a person, I'm a student of life, a person who is constantly learning. And therefore, I look at this book, like when I wrote this book, my wife said, aren't you kind of too young to write a book about kind of that kind of book? Mm. And I thought about this. There is some truth to that. You know, I'm, you know, but then I realized that I, by calling it like a version of volume one, I have an opportunity to, to write volume two, three, and four. So as I'm learning, I keep writing. And this is why it's intermission because I'm going to have new ideas. I'm going to write more chapters. I may, may publish them or may just write them, turn them into articles. And um, and that's how I look at life. It's just I keep learning all the time. Mm-hmm. And by the way, just it's on, on the topic, since the book came out, I already wrote four new chapters. And if your listeners get the book, just go to soulinthegame.net and their instructions how to get those chapters absolutely free. So, uh, you know, and that's uh, so it's kind of a natural segue into that. Yeah. Well, and and that's it is that's interesting because what that means is you uh, you are continuing to grow and think. And you know, I I look back on what I wrote years ago, and much of it I still agree with, but a lot of it I have a different view on. And all we can do is write what we think at the time, <laughs> and um, and also recognize that um, you know, I mean, the, the Buddhist idea of every breath we're a new person. And and so you're continuing that, you know, that procession, that progress that that goes on, and it's okay to say this is where I am now. At, you know, at my response, if I were you, to your wife is, you know, in ancient days, I would be at the end of my life, so it's time to write. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's good. Yeah, that's right. No, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah. So, what are the good ways of connecting with you? You just mentioned the uh, soulinthegame.net. Is that? Yeah. No. That's that's where the, that's where people can learn about the book. This is where they can get additional four chapters. Um, I think the, the uh, we have a podcast. Uh, it's called Intellectual Investor. And it's a podcast where basically my articles read to you. It's a kind of out you know, by somebody else, not me. Mm. And uh, so this way you can, you know, you can basically binge listen to my articles for the last three years if you want to. Mm. And uh uh, so Intellectual Investor Podcast, you can go to investor.fm and that, that's where you can get it too. And f- and finally, uh, you, you can subscribe to my articles and get them by email. And there you get my father's art. You get uh, my articles about life or investing or whatever. And you get every single time you get classical music recommendations. And you can do this if you go to contrarianedge.com, contrarianedge.com. Yeah. And we'll put those links in the show notes. Thank you. Yeah. On that. Yeah. Yeah. Vitaly, thank you so much for being here. This is this has been a blast. Lee, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. 
listening to the Thrivology Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at Thrivology.com or at ThrivologyMagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T-H-R-I-V-E-O-L-O-G-Y. It's your life. Time to live it.